0: Rest is a rare commodity. I'm sure if you are parents and you have young children, you know that their needs, their sicknesses, their schedules can rob you of rest. But let me tell you, the irony of this is that when you get older and you seem to have a little bit more time on your hands, it's hard to get to sleep or it's hard to stay asleep. God has made us to rest and to need rest. He gave us day and night to regulate our work and rest hours. He also gave us one day in seven to rest from our labors. Studies show us that if you don't get enough rest, it affects your immune system. You can become more forgetful, more irritable, less creative, less productive, And of course, this is all related to physical rest, but there is also the vital component of spiritual rest, which the author of Hebrews talks about in our text today. We have been in this study, the book of Hebrews, a study called Pressing On Because of the Supremacy of Christ. And the author has been addressing Jewish Christians who are growing uh, to be more persecuted and to have more pressures against them. And they were tempted to reject faith in Jesus Christ and go back to their Jewish beliefs and Jewish practices. And the author has been making the case in this book that they must press on in their faith because Jesus is superior. And we dealt with the second half of chapter 3 last week when the author warned them of their hearts being hardened like the Israelites back when they had just gone through the exodus. And he quotes from Psalm 95, which was our call to worship this morning. Because of their unbelief and hardened hearts, they didn't enter the promised land. He didn't want them to be like those Israelites. And so he gave them remedies for how they could avoid unbelief. And he showed them that unbelief can easily be developed among the spiritually privileged. So the concept of rest was introduced as the author quoted Psalm 95 verse 11, when God said about the unbelieving Israelites in the wilderness, therefore I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. And so today we're going to begin chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 11, And he is going to expand upon this concept of rest. And we're going to see the warning regarding rest. We're going to understand what this rest is. We're going to understand the urgency of heeding this warning. And the link of this rest to the Sabbath rest. So follow along as I read Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of their disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, Thus far, the reading of God's word. Well, at first glance, when you hear about this rest and the Exodus Israelites not being able to enter into the promised land, you think that the promised land is what's being referred to here as their rest. But it's obvious that the promised land was symbolic of something greater, something spiritual. The promised land stood for the rest that we have in salvation, God's fellowship, God's peace, and ultimately heaven. And this is why the author says in verse 1, therefore, while the promise of eternity or entering his rest still stands. And so, inspired by the Holy Spirit, David wrote Psalm 95 to warn professing Christians of his day or professing believers who may not be true believers not to harden their hearts or they would not enter God's rest. And so the author of Hebrews is doing the same thing here. And so the first point that we want to understand from this text is a warning regarding rest. A warning regarding rest. He says in the second half of verse 1, Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, there's emphasis on that verb fear. The writer here is a pastor. He has a pastor's heart. He doesn't want professing believers to fall into the same hardness of heart that the Israelites had when they died in the desert. Remember, last week, one of the remedies of unbelief was exhorting one another in the church. Well, here he says, Let us fear. We're all to be equally concerned for ourselves and for each other in the church about failing to enter this rest. Now, we have something in common with the Israelites. We see this in the first half of verse 2. For good news came to us just as to them. Now, this is a fascinating thing. Good news refers to the gospel. He's saying just as the gospel came to us, it came to them, to the Israelites. And this is what covenant theologians have stressed. The gospel was set forth to the Israelites. Of course, in seed form, as God's covenant promises, His promises of grace. Now, the Old Testament believers did not know the particulars of the gospel, of exactly how God would fulfill His salvation by saving people through the work of his Messiah, but they were saved by faith in God's promises of grace. The people in the Old Testament were saved the same way as the people in the New Testament. And part of the good news to the Israelites was was that God would be their God. He would save them, he would provide for them, he would protect them, he would lead them into the promised land, and this promised land had a spiritual meaning as well meaning salvation, rest, eventually heaven. And the warning continues in the second half of verse 2. The message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. In other words, the good news was proclaimed to them, but they really didn't listen to it. They didn't have true faith, and therefore they didn't benefit by it. And you'll notice that it says they were not united by faith with those who listened. In other words, they didn't align themselves with the believers. They aligned themselves with the naysayers, the grumblers, the complainers, the unbelievers. One example of that was when the spies were sent into the promised land. Only two of them came back with a positive word, believing in God's promises, Caleb and Joshua. Well, Israel determined to follow the non-believers rather than the believers. The second thing that we learn from this text is God is showing us the meaning of this rest. The meaning of this rest. The first part of verse 3 says, For we who have believed enter that rest. The word for enter here is in the present tense. It conveys a present reality for those who have believed. It means God's promises... Had become a present reality, but not fully realized or fully consummated. But God's promise does not lose its validity. And so also, the threat remains to anyone who does not believe. And so he continues in the rest of verse 3 as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Notice here, he says, they shall not enter my rest. This is God's rest. And the author anticipates the question, what do you mean? I don't understand what God's rest refers to. Well, he essentially quotes Genesis 2-2 in verse 4. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. In Genesis chapter 1, we're given a description of the six days of creation, what God created. And at the end of each description, it ends with, and there was evening and there was morning. But that's not what is said at the end of the seventh day. The seventh day, God rested. And it's an ongoing, continual resting from that time forth. Now, when the Jewish leaders were persecuting Jesus in John chapter 5 Jesus told them in verse 17 my father is working until now and I am working and so this rest that God is enjoying does not mean that he is idle it does not mean that he's taken a vacation or that he has removed his care from the world it is a rest of completion It is a rest over everything. He rules from a position of rest and sovereignty. And this rest God gives to us in salvation. It's nothing less than the very rest that God himself enjoys. And believers enter this rest, but unbelievers, they do not enter his rest. As verse 5 says, and again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. The rest of God, He shares with us. There are many facets of this rest. How do we conceive of God resting? Well, He has joy in what He's created. He is satisfied with what He created. But as we learn from Jesus, it's a working rest. This rest for believers on earth is the salvation that we have in Christ the life that we have in union with God. We're reconciled with God. We we no longer are under his condemnation and wrath. It's the beginning of the experience of God's peace and presence and fellowship in our lives. It's knowing God's love and that he has only good purposes for us. It's belonging to God and to his family. But what we have of this rest now is only a foretaste of the completed rest that we will have when we go to heaven. But then the author transitions from this to the third point that we see God teaching us in this text, and that is the urgency, the urgency of entering this rest. In verse 6, he speaks of the present for those who are hearing these words. He says, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, the author knows that he's writing to some people who are not believers yet. They have not entered into the beginning of this rest. They have yet to truly believe and trust in Christ. It remains, meaning there is still time. There is still an opportunity for them to enter. He also warns them in verse 6 of the reality of those in the past who did not enter. It says, and those who formally received the good news failed to enter. Because of disobedience. And as we learned last week, the Israelites allowed the deceitfulness of sin into their hearts. Unbelief filled their hearts. And their hearts were hardened. They didn't repent. And they fell away. They received the good news. But they did not have true faith in Jesus Christ. They did not have true faith that leads to obedience. And those who fall away have never had true faith because we know the scriptures teach that once saved, always saved. God will persevere with us. He will cause us to continue in our faith if we're true believers. No one can snatch us out of Jesus's hands, but true faith is not alone. It manifests itself in obedience, in repentance, and in good works. In verse 7, the author states that this offer of the good news, and the rest that God gives to those who believe was not just for the Israelites after the exodus. Long afterward, David, through this this psalm, Psalm 95, gives an offer. And as we learned last week, this term today means urgency, means now, now in every age. He says, again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so these words and this urgent offer is an opportunity for us today in this time and place, if we are not believers, to believe the good news, to trust in Jesus Christ and to not harden our hearts. Well, in this final paragraph of our text, the writer wants to make it clear that this rest does not refer to the physical promised land that Joshua eventually led the second generation Israelites after the Exodus into. Now, God did give them relative peace and victory over their enemies, but they began to disobey God, and they didn't enjoy that kind of physical peace much after that, and Of course, those who are being written to, they knew that Israel did not have rest just because they indwelt the promised land. And so the author says in verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. God spoke about another day in Psalm 95, which was written hundreds of years after the Israelites entered into the promised land This rest isn't referring to the physical promised land. He's referring to a spiritual rest. And the author elaborates again on this spiritual rest with a new word. A word that's invented by the author. And that leads us to our final emphasis of our text. The Sabbath rest for the people of God. The Sabbath rest for the people of God. Verse 9 says so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Sabbath rest is one word in the Greek. It's sabbatismos, and you can't find that anywhere else in Scripture or in the Greek language. So here the author makes up this word to depict this unique new kind of rest that God gives. And again, he's going back to the creation account. God rested on the seventh day, from his creation work and he did this to provide of course a pattern for mankind for a work week and a day of rest but it also has a spiritual meaning it means salvation rest and we're to look forward to the consummation of this salvation rest that's in heaven promised for believers and though we have the real blessings of rest in Christ in this life We know that this is not all there is to the rest that is to come we rightly long for that rest in heaven and the author states in verse 10 for whoever has entered god's rest has also rested from his works as god did from his see the sabbath day of rest from work was to remind god's people of the rest that they were to take from their physical labors but spiritually it was to remind them of the rest they had in God's grace. The spiritual rest of God is being part of his family, part of his kingdom in which he sovereignly rules over us and provides for us and protects us. He's saying work in our lives is establish his work for, from the beginning of the foundation of the world and we can stop being afraid. We can stop being anxious in this life Because we have forgiveness of our sins. We have the righteousness of Christ. We are his people. We have his peace. And a place in heaven is being made for us. And so when we face opposition, when we face trials and temptations and circumstances that are difficult, sufferings and even death itself. The God of Sabbath rest, salvation, rest and peace is in control and his good purposes for us will be completed. We can hear God assure us in many passages such as Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Well this text invites us to compare the Joshuas of the Bible. The Joshua in the Old Testament while well, he was The man who brought the second generation Exodus Israelites into the promised land and into relative peace. But the Greek name for Joshua is Jesus. And there's a second Joshua in the Bible. In the New Testament, Jesus, the perfect Joshua. And he brings his people into the promised land of salvation and rest and peace with God. Christ did this work for us so that we can rest in his works. And as we read in our scripture reading from Matthew chapter 11, Jesus welcomes us, he beckons us, come all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon upon you, learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. To enter this rest of salvation means ceasing from our works. In other words, trying to earn favor with God, thinking that our works will earn us salvation. They will not. We are to rest securely in the works of Christ that have been finished, that have been completed. Remember, there's an already and not yet to this rest. The writer emphasizes our present possession of these things that God has promised, although these blessings will be fully received at the end of time, but we begin to realize these benefits now by faith. So these truths about the rest that still stands, the good news that we have heard, the rest that remains for some to enter, and the remaining Sabbath rest for the people of God, all of this demands a response from us. If you ignore it, If you fail to truly believe and obey the good news, God says, you will not enter my rest. And so the writer ends this section in verse 11 with an imperative, with a command, for all of us to hear the word of God. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now what is he telling us? Can we work at gaining our salvation and rest? No. We know that scriptures tell us uh, we we can't earn our salvation by righteousness because we don't have righteousness. Now the Bible shows us that the rest which mankind was supposed to have and enjoy was lost when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and sinned. And since that time, mankind has not enjoyed true rest because we inherit a sinful nature in rebellion against God. Sin has separated us from God's presence, fellowship, and salvation rest. And sin also has incurred his judgment and wrath. We are restless. We are empty. We are without peace because of this. And man's condition is that we cannot do anything about it. And the reason for this is because God is perfectly holy. He demands perfect obedience to his commandments. He demands perfect love for him, love for one another, and love for our neighbor, expressed in perfectly living out the Ten Commandments, and we fall short. But God is also perfectly just. He must punish all of our sins in hell and we owe him a debt that we cannot repay for our sins. There's nothing we can do to atone for our sins and the good news is that God has graciously provided this for us. He's provided us with his righteousness. He's provided us with atonement for our sins so they can be forgiven and of course he did this through his son Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity came to this world and took on human flesh and a human nature, and yet without sin, remaining God in order to be our substitute. He came to live the life that we should have lived. He came to die the death that we deserve to die. He lived a perfect life, fulfilling all the commandments, loving God perfectly from his heart and his neighbor And he did that in order to transfer to us his record of righteousness, to clothe us with his righteousness. But he also came to atone for our sins, to go to the cross as the perfect lamb of God and have the sins of those he came to die for laid upon him. And he received the wrath, the justice of God, the judgment of God in our place through his suffering, through his bleeding on the cross and his death but he rose on the third day from the dead. He proved that he was God the Son and the Messiah. He had victory over sin and death and the devil for us, and he certified, the resurrection certified that that Christ did purchase for us and earn for us salvation. And so those who by grace who are born again will place their trust and faith in Jesus alone for their salvation. They will turn from self-righteousness and sin and rely on Christ alone. Salvation is knowing that you've been forgiven of all your sins. Knowing that you have the righteousness of Christ and you've been declared righteous. Knowing that you've been adopted into God's family. And you have the gift of the promise of eternal life. And you have communion with God through his indwelling Holy Spirit. So we must strive to make sure that we have this true saving faith in Christ. But the striving the author is referring to is not working for salvation. It's making sure that we have true faith in Christ in what he has done for us alone for our salvation. It's making sure that it's more than just intellectual assent, but we truly are relying upon what Christ has done. It's true trust accompanied with repentance. This striving is also what true believers do once they've been saved. We work out the salvation we have by grace alone with fear and trembling. And what does that mean? We seek to persevere in our faith. We seek using the resources that we have in Christ to do good works, to obey his commandments, to Live according to the commandments. Now that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're going to sin often and we repent but we continue to grow in holiness to become more and more like Christ. Because of the grace that we've been shown we do this in gratitude but we also do this because we have a new nature. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We strive to enjoy the rest of and the satisfaction of Christ's accomplishments for us. And so, what have we seen here? We've seen in our text a warning regarding this rest, what this rest is, the urgency of entering into this rest, and how this is the Sabbath rest for the people of God. So what? What difference should this make in our lives? Let me give you three application points, three takeaways. The first one is, Ask yourself this question, where are you trying to find true rest? Rest is a quality that eludes man's quest. The world has been trying to find rest and satisfaction in all manner of things. Material wealth, pleasure, prosperity, success, travel, health, beauty, popularity, influence, relationships, even in families. But we will never be satisfied or find rest in these things because we were only meant to find satisfaction and rest in a relationship with God. So we need to repent of trying to find this rest in earthly things, created things, idols. Fellowship with God and enjoyment in Him is the rest that we need. Malcolm Muggeridge once said, the only ultimate tragedy is that a man makes earth his home. You see, the problem is, isn't that we want too much, is that it's, it's that we're satisfied with too little. We're satisfied with the token rests that the world offers us, which doesn't satisfy, which has diminishing returns, which always disappoints. Instead, we ought to seek our rest in God, the rest that he has provided for us. The divine warning in this text is applicable to us as it was in Moses' day, David's day, and the writer of Hebrews' day. And that's number two. This is your today. So take advantage of this opportunity to enter God's rest. In our assurance of pardon in Romans chapter 10, there's this invitation salvation, this invitation to enter into God's rest. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not enough simply to come to church any more than it was enough to be an Israelite in the day after being exodus from Egypt. No, it's not enough just to hear the gospel, even to understand it. We must respond to the good news with faith and repentance. And today is the day. If you have never responded to it, today is the day. God is calling you to believe if you have not done so already. There's an illustration of the faith that brings this salvation rest from a missionary, John G. Patton, a pioneer missionary to the New Hebrides Island. Patton set out the work of translating the Bible into their native language, which until then, there was no written form. But before long, he encountered a problem. He didn't have a word for faith. There wasn't that word in their language. But one day, he was observing a hunting expedition. And as the hunters came back, from their work, their labor, their exertions. He watched as they threw themselves into the chair and cried out, My, it is good to stretch yourself out here and rest. And Patton immediately jumped to his feet and he wrote down these words. He found a word for faith in their language. By faith, the weary sinner stretches out to rest upon Jesus alone. So how can you know that you have this saving faith? Well, some of the results of this faith will be that you will respond with a desire and a commitment to obey the commandments, to love God with your whole heart, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, to love one another as he has loved us. You will seek to find your rest and satisfaction in him. You will strive to persevere in your faith through times of testing in this wilderness journey. You'll recognize unbelief when it tempts you or creeps into your heart and tries to harden your heart, and you'll turn from it. And this text teaches us that our belief or lack thereof is influenced by who we unite ourselves to. The Holy Spirit uses the encouragement of other believers to help us persevere. And so we will align ourselves with other believers We will seek to have fellowship with those who want to listen to the Word of God and study the Word of God and apply it to their lives. You see, the Christian life is not a passive thing. Growing in grace is not a passive thing. We will want to be around believers who will strive to grow and persevere in their faith, participating in the sacraments, praying together, listening to God's Word being preached and taught. All in the context of the local church. The author says, Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The subject here is plural. We have a stake in the spiritual affairs of our brothers. We are our brother's keeper. A quality body of Christians will act like a fighting unit in a war. In a military battle, when someone falls behind, we go back and get them and revive them. Well, finally, this text has something to say about the importance of observing the Lord's Day, which is the Christian Sabbath. Point number three, our participation in the Lord's Day worship and activities reminds us of the rest that we have here and look forward to in heaven. What are we to think about on the Lord's Day, Sunday? Well, John Newton wrote in his hymn, Safely Through Another Week, a stanza that I think is very instructive. It says, Safely through another week, God has brought us on our way. Let us now a blessing seek, waiting in his courts today, day of all the week, the best, emblem of eternal rest. The Lord's Day is an emblem of the eternal rest that we have in Christ. If you read our worship guide before the worship service, Heidelberg Catechism 103 states what is required in the fourth commandment. Fourth commandment being keeping uh, the Sabbath holy. And one part of that answer is, I yield myself to the Lord to work by His Holy Spirit in me and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. See, as we worship on the Lord's day, we need to focus on this rest that we have in Christ. The rest that we look forward to in heaven. We have entered into an eternal Sabbath. We're to live it out. We are to rest in the truths of the gospel and who we are in Christ. We're to practice a little bit of our rest, or what it will be like in heaven right now. And of course, even though we should enjoy physical rest on the Lord's day from our normal work, God's rest is not a rest that is inactive. We are to be about his works, of spiritual growth in our lives and in the lives of others, of mercy showed towards others, and deeds of necessity. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this rest that we have in you. I pray that everyone here knows that rest, has entered into that rest, and is trying to apply that rest to their lives. And looking forward to that eternal rest with you someday in heaven. Thank you Lord Jesus for coming and doing everything necessary for us to enter into that rest. Give, give the people here faith. Increase our faith. And those who may not have faith. Lord give them the gift of faith and repentance so that they may enter that rest. For we pray this in Jesus name. Amen.